Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out those wings and slither in place because this is Snakebird. Hey, welcome Snakebirds to another episode of the cast. In today's discussion, we're tackling a familiar but beloved format, the Snakebird Profile. This is a show where we choose a biblical character and examine their ups and downs, successes and failures, motives and accomplishments. Virtually anything we can glean and apply to our lives in a spirit of wisdom and gentleness, asking how can this information help us to have a closer walk with God. So Stephen, who are we profiling today? Our profile today is none other than Jehu. Jehu? Jehu, (laughs) who was one of Israel's kings around the 9th century BC. It was a few few, uh, rows down from Solomon. Oh, yeah, yeah. I noticed that there was a few Jehus in the Bible. There's like a Jehud in the book of Joshua. And then there is a Jehu the prophet, and his story takes place just before our guy, comes into the scene. You know, I have to be careful when I get the Bible dictionary out because it has one, two, three (laughs) under the names. And if I don't stop reading, I just get this giant character that's not even one. (laughs) You're like, he has an amazing story. I think he lived to be like 250 years old. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. So there's a few of them, but this was the king of Israel. And um, some fun facts we learn about Jehu as the story unfolds are... Uh, One, he was a commander in the army before he was king. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he was a commander, and then he had captains underneath him. And uh, another thing was that um, we'll talk about the nation of Israel, but there were 19 kings in the nation of Israel, and Jehu, as a king, sits smack dab in the middle of them with nine before him and nine after him until their eminent fall to the kingdom of Assyria. And he's also the only king of Israel that's even considered partially good in his actions, as the rest are completely considered evil in the sight of the Lord. Yeah, yeah. He was Israel's best good bad king. He'd <laughs> <laughs> say that six times fast. And he was also known for being a very aggressive chariot driver. Very much so. Which we'll get into that later. Yeah, there was a band uh, that I remember in high school that was a Christian ska band that was called Drives Like Jehu. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his name means Jehovah is He. I, I like that. Oh, it's nice. just like saying, "That's God." Yeah, right there. That's pretty cool. Yeah. We also know that he, um, as it unfolds, we'll find he is a zealous and very strategic fellow when it comes to getting things done. Yeah, he's quite a strategist. He he is a stri- yeah strategist 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 as as strategist as George Bush would say a strategery. You're in my axis of evil. <laughs> yeah, so he is a very interesting character, and we also have um, some mentions of Jehu in the archaeological record. One of which mentions is found in the. Syrian records on the black obelisk of Shalmaneser the third. Oh, so he is uh, he's found there as well. I got that information also, so that's nice. good. I saw that there's also other areas too, but that was the the funnest word to say. So <laughs> Shalmaneser, that's the one I used. He's mentioned three times on that, right? Uh, I, I didn't count. Oh, okay, but yeah, he was mentioned. He was definitely mentioned throughout that thing and and some others as well. Which they said they used that to come back and kind of check on Hebrew chronology, um, based on on that because that's a 
piece that they found. That's really cool when they do that. Yeah. It's kind of like the those Rosetta Stone pieces where yeah. they can backtrack and yeah. go cross-check stuff. Yes. The Bible's always right. And, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, finding the name like that, you're like, he does exist. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's pretty cool to see. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're profiling this guy because he has a lot of interesting story to tell. Yeah, it is, and it, it unfolds in a way that we should it should really be turned into an action suspense movie. And I know we say that a yeah. lot, but but this one really should. Well, I think a lot of the kings from the Old Testament really could be turned into a story because I know mm-hmm. that there's times where it's like, and then they reigned for 25 years or 22 years, whatever it might be. But the the story on how they initially start into power yeah. typically is pretty rad. That's true. So on that note, Josh, do you want to set the scene of old Jehu here? Yes, I do. Take yes, it away. Yes, I do, because I'm going to try to make a movie for you. <laughs> no, <laughs> nice. Uh, without giving a whole litany of history from the Old Testament, which is tempting to do because it's a really neat story, but we don't need all of it right now. Uh, the kingdom of Israel, through a series of poor leadership choices and rejection of hearing God's voice, has been split into two separate kingdoms. Judah in the south and Israel in the north. Judah, for the most part, still has the descendants of King David on the throne, and there are good kings and at times bad kings that reign during that time until their fall to the nation of Babylon. Israel, however, has strayed much further away from anything godly and are ruled by wicked king after wicked king until they're conquered, captured, and carried away by the nation of Assyria. Our profile today places us in the only, and it's hard to even call that completely bright, but the only semi-bright spot during that time, and that is talking about a commander of the army raised up to be king named Jehu. You know, I'm not going to lie. It reminded me a lot of the George Washington story. Oh, yeah, that's kind of neat. Commander that, that became president, basically. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think I texted you earlier today, and I was like, wait a minute. This is Maximus. <laughs> uh, we, we, I, we reference Gladiator a lot, but I'm like, he was a commander appointed to be king, which was what Gladiator was supposed to be. Josh and I have this super, superhuman power to relate pretty much any biblical story to either Star Wars or the Gladiator. <laughs> or Gladiator. <laughs> it happens so much. It, it's funny, right? But it is. It is like Maximus. Yeah. And, and Israel was a mess because there were still prophets of God like Elijah and Elisha being some of the most notable that were around during this time. But worship of idols and the practices of worshiping them were out of control. Almost every high place and every tree was a spot for either sacrifice or worship through visiting a prostitute. Jeroboam had established golden calves in the north because he was worried about losing his kingdom since the temple of God was in Judah to the south. And all of a sudden, this type of worship just stuck and the people ran rampant in worshiping these false gods. And even though there was supposed to be an air of righteousness, especially from the king, uh, you talk about Ahab, who we'll mention a few times in this story. He married Jezebel, who was a Phoenician princess. And with her, as soon as they got married, uh, with her came all sorts of debauchery and wickedness. And, And she started killing off all the prophets of God. 
you know, we see that time and time again, don't we, with the the influence that that gets had on Israel, and they kind of get carried, even with Solomon and his yeah. wives. Oh yeah. And then we have Jezebel characters and all sorts that once that influence is introduced, if it's tolerated, it can it just grows. Yeah, it's like a stepping down, and and the next thing you know, you're just it's a slippery slope. Let's say that. Yeah, for sure. Because Solomon, he married so many foreign wives that. All of a sudden, they were all bringing in their gods, and he wasn't putting his foot down and saying, no, there's only one true God. Yeah, it it goes to show you can have all the wisdom in the world, literally, but if you don't have the willpower and commitment to God, that doesn't even matter. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Hmm. So that's where we're at. This uh, this little window of of slight shine coming through from yes. from the dark idolatry. Yeah, yeah, because God brings in His zealous commander of the army, mm-hmm. Jehu, to kind of clean up. Yeah, and that kind of lands us in what Second Kings chapter nine, doesn't it, Josh? That does. Yeah. So we see the story begin by Elisha the prophet summoning a, a, another prophet to go give a prophetic word to our profile Jehu here. Yes. Yeah, and I wanted to say one thing about Second Kings chapter 9. Some commentator wrote this. He says, It is indeed a terrible chapter in which the truth of the divine government is written no longer in the gentle words of patient mercy, but in the flames of fire. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this is a terrible chapter. Yeah, well, he's like, he's like, before it was kid gloves, now the gloves are off. Wow, that's yeah, funny. Yeah, and so you've got this young prophet coming from Elisha. Yes, and uh, because the one before him was Elijah. Yes, who is yes. carried away by the chariots of fire. Yes, he yeah. was the she bears man. No, Elisha. Elisha was Elisha. the she That's yeah. what I meant. Yeah, cross promotion. <laughs> Listen to that weird in the word. Yes, that's right. It's really cool. So it's around the same timeline. Yeah. And this uh, this young prophet, now we, we talked about this just a minute ago. Um, he's identified by Jewish tradition as the prophet Jonah, as oh. in Jonah of Tarshish, as in God said go, and Jonah said no. <laughs> yeah, if you're familiar with Veggie Tales, he he went to the fish slappers. The fish slappers, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Smell him. <laughs> uh, but we were talking about timelines, and and that might not line up. So I mean, it, I thought it was really interesting in terms of tradition, but he yeah. would have been he would have been really young right here and really old in the Book of Jonah. Yeah. Well, when you mentioned that, I was like, well, darn it, because I was going to start off saying this is between. Solomon and Jonah, but, but he could have been. He could have been just a wee lad. Yeah, a wee lad. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I like this that God is sending this prophet right here because it shows that Israel had abandoned God, but God had not abandoned Israel. Yeah, and that's when this young man comes up to the the commanders of of whom Jehu is one of, mm-hmm. and they're all they're all shooting the strategy <laughs> back and forth, probably around a campfire. Like that's how it's going down in my mind. Yeah, but he kind of comes up. Probably I don't know if he's mellow. I don't know if he's. But we find out he's he's squirrely or something. He might be fidgety. Yeah, yeah. So he's he comes up. He's like, can, can I talk to you? I've got to talk to you. And he does exactly what Elisha commanded him to do. He he takes Jehu into a nearby house, and he pours oil on his head, and then not only tells him that he's going to be the next king of Israel, but he also tells him the following, which we see uh, in verse 6 starting. 
This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord, over Israel. And you shall strike the house of Ahab your master, so that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord, at the hand of Jezebel. For the entire house of Ahab shall perish, and I will eliminate from Ahab every male person, both slave and free in Israel." So he he just lets it all out after pouring oil on his head, and I mean, a weird scene. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then they walk out, and one of his <laughs> captains are like, "Who is that crazy kid?" You know, he's probably just super nervous. He just delivered this this um, message from God. Yeah, but he Jehu's almost embarrassed to tell the other commanders who are sitting there what happened in there, because one of the commanders asked Jehu in verse eleven. Why did this crazy fellow come to you? <laughs> and he said to them, you know very well the man and his talk. And they said, this is a lie. Tell us now. Yeah, I was thinking, he doesn't have much of a poker face, does he? No. And, and probably at this point, he's got uh, oil dripping down his hair or his beard. What is the meaning of this? Yeah, and, and he goes, you know that man and his babble. Yes, <laughs> such and such he said to me, saying, this is what the Lord says. I've yeah. anointed you king over Israel. Yeah. And, and I just quoted the scripture there. Mm-hmm. That, that's hilarious and such and such he said to me yeah I mean, it's it's a dialogue that just cracks me up because we don't usually read in scripture where someone is literally recorded as basically saying in embarrassment oh you know that crazy yada 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 yeah it's just it's a funny scene such and such yeah yeah well i mean being a commander maybe he's like I, i'm not very eloquent and i don't want to repeat everything yeah <laughs> that was a girly man that poured oil on my head and i just didn't like it <laughs> but i am king now yeah well, and I did want to point that out, that this is the only king of Israel, and I'm talking about Israel as the northern nation now, out of 19 of them, he was the only one to be anointed as king. Mm. Virtually every other king was either appointed by the swing of their sword or by their dad. That's interesting. Which happened five times. I mean, like five little dynasties, whether it was like father and son. Yeah. And then, of course, when it got to Jehu, he had himself and then four below him. And then uh, it's just interesting because it's like... It is. Only this guy was actually appointed by God as king of the northern nation of Israel. Because before that, you're talking those kind of successions, family dynasties. Yeah. They're, they're kind of playing the secular game. Yeah, exactly. And, and this is this is that little shining window where God's going to do something. Yeah, because it was like, I want to become king. So I go in and cut the guy's throat. And now I sit on the throne and I'm king. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Speed bump into a new thing. It was, yeah. <laughs> because it was like assassinate and then come king. <laughs> you know, and the people were like, well, I don't like that. And, and. Uh, sometimes they would come and assassinate him or yeah. and he would fight back with them. Um, I did find this interesting, and I'm going to point it out at the very end of the study, but this actually might be the second time that Jehu's been anointed as the king of Israel. That's, that's going to be that's going to be a fascinating well, thing you mentioned. Today. Yeah, yeah, because he might have already been anointed by the prophet Elijah. Before, which, which that's weird because we got Elisha here. Elijah is no more. Yeah. So how did that happen? You'll, you'll tell us. Okay, I'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, comedic scene or not, with this kid and the oil and all of the stuff, uh, Jehu tells the news to the the commanders out there, but they waste no time sounding the trumpet that Jehu's now king. They're excited. They're on board. Yeah. They, which shows that they might have had some distrust or unrest with Joram. 
Yeah, that's true. And at this point, they hurried, and I'll just read verse 13. It says, They hurried, and each man took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps and blew the trumpet, saying, Jehu is king. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, this is this is the direction we're headed now. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, they received him as their king immediately, and now it's on. Yeah, yeah, and Jehu wastes no time with with strategies and gears turning in his head on a conspiracy towards Joram. Yes, from this point. Yeah, who is the the person we're going to meet now? Mm-hmm. Because he sets off with his company of men from Ramoth Gilead towards Jezreel, which is about forty five miles, and he's going to deal with King Joram, who is being visited by his buddy King Ahaziah of Judah. And uh, as they're talking, um, Joram had been fighting and he'd gotten wounded. So he's back in Jezreel and he's trying to heal up. And all of a sudden, a tower watchman says, hey, I see a company of men coming. And uh, they go, well, who is it? And he goes, I don't know. And, And so they send out a rider. Yeah, so Joram sends out his messenger to find out who this rider is coming because it's a season of war. You want to know who it is when someone's riding up on you. Yeah, and they were kind of even hoping for good news. Yeah, True, true. They probably wanted that very much so. Mm -hmm. But um, it it is Jehu, we know, who is coming, and this messenger goes out to meet him, and he yells out, are you coming in peace? And Jehu tells the messenger, how is peace any business of yours? Turn and follow me. (laughs) Yeah. Which is an odd thing to say. You'd think the messenger would say, forget you, fella, I'm going back. He doesn't. He turns and he follows him. Which shows the respect that he must have had as the commander. That's true. Yeah, and I imagine that's probably exactly what happened there. Mm -hmm. So Joram is like, sent another dad blasted messenger (laughs) out there. What just happened? I want to find out what's going on. It's like Noah losing the bird, you know? (laughs) He sends another messenger out there. Same thing happens. Same exact thing. And he goes and follows him. And Joram's probably thinking at this point, what the heck? Can a man not get some answers around here? Yeah. So Joram saddles up him along with Ahaziah, who's the king of Judah. They have some relation, don't they, Josh? Yeah, nephew and uncle. Yeah, so opposite kings, you know, across the way. But mm-hmm. he's visiting him because he's hurt. Yes. But but by golly, they just lost two messengers. So they're going to head yeah. out there and, and try to find who they will find out is Jehu. But um, they're, they're looking out there and we see this odd scene where it's like there's dust flying everywhere. And he's like, he's driving furiously like that of Jehu. Yeah, I think it's the watchman. <laughs> the watchman himself, yeah. yeah. Which he must have seen Jehu riding quite a quite a bit if he's coming back and forth. Okay. But he goes, um, it's kind of interesting how he's riding because he kind of drives furiously. Yeah, he drives like a madman. <laughs> yeah. I know that man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the driving of that of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. That's which, hilarious. Yeah, it makes you wonder what that's like. I mean, okay, so I looked it up in the New Living Translation. It says the driving is like that of Jehu. He drives like a maniac. That's hilarious. Yeah, which I I think I've subtly thrown some shade at people at times because I'm like, what's up, Jehu, after I see him driving? And and until this episode, maybe they don't even know what I'm talking about. Yeah, probably not. (laughs) Because <laughs> I don't guess I had ever, you know, clung to that verse as I've passed it by. Yeah. It's just, as we did this study, I was 
I was cracking up. Somebody wrote like Jehu was such an intense man, and I'm like, you got to get your low voice for that. Like such an intense man yeah. that his personality could easily be seen in the way he drove a chariot. <laughs> Which I mean, I know people like that. Yeah, I don't. I mean, is it like he's over? Like I don't. I don't uh, know. Well, as my cousin says, who is a, a very aggressive driver like Jehu. He says it's not bad driving, it's aggressive driving. Oh, okay. And you can kind of see that, which yeah. it's it's bad driving. Well, I don't know if he... <laughs> I, I can't imagine that he's like beating his horse, but maybe he's just like really like into it. I bet Chariots can fishtail. He might okay. have been doing a little bit of that. <laughs> yeah. You know, he was just skilled at it. He drifted yeah. it. Yeah. He's, it's, it's, he's like <laughs> ancient drifting. It's, it's Israeli drift. <laughs> <laughs> That's another good band name. There you go. That's awesome. So yeah, it's just... A, it's another funny scene we see. He's like... It looks like Jehu. He's yeah. driving like a maniac. Yeah. And uh, from this point now, we, we see that... Um, they sa- they saddle up. They saddle up. They're heading out to um, to approach Jehu. And they find Jehu on a nearby property. And Joram yells out and asks him if he came in peace. At which point Jehu responds in verse 22... What peace, so long as your mother Jezebel's acts of prostitution and witchcraft are so many? Mm-hmm. Which, that's an insult. <laughs> but if you know Jezebel. Well, it gives me the chills because it's like such a manly answer. Yeah. As long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many. Yeah. I mean, like, can you imagine this, the steeliness he had in his heart and like the resolve that he had to ride these 45 miles with going... I am God's instrument of correction in yeah. this moment to the family of Ahab, and I'm going to root out the wickedness in my nation. He's Yeah, he's speaking it as it is. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if you don't know who Jezebel is, there's everyone in their dog has likely heard of, you know, that godless Jezebel as yeah. an underhanded comment. Mm-hmm. That's This is who they're talking about. Well, there's a reason even in our society, if you hear somebody's name is Jezebel, you're kind of like, <gasps> you know, exactly. Like, oh, okay, well, your parents didn't like you, did they? <laughs> yes. If that's your name out there, we do apologize. Yeah, yeah. It just... <laughs> it, it, it's, you know, it's just one of those things we find in Scripture, and unfortunately it taints that name. But yeah, but yeah, she was a very, very wicked person. It's like being named Judas Iscariot or Benedict Arnold. <laughs> yeah, not just Judas, but Judas Iscariot. Yeah, Judas is a cool name, but Judas Iscariot. I mean, yeah, it's got a ring to it Ugh. for sure. And uh, you know, if if Joram had any question in his mind before uh, that he had come in peace, he doesn't now. No, he knows when he said that about his mother. He knew instantly um, that that. He had not come in peace. The New International Steve version actually notes that Joram as saying, Oh, snap, there is treachery. Yes. <laughs> Get to thine chariot. <laughs> Deuce thyself out. <laughs> that's, that's literally when I was reading this part. The first thing that came into my head after that nasty insult was, Oh, snap. <laughs> It's the cops. We got to get yeah, it out. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. the party's over. So, you know, that's exactly what he does. Anybody would whose life is at stake in like this scene. And um, he he takes off, but not quick enough, because we see that, that Jehu draws his bow, and he delivers a Hail Mary arrow right into the heart of Joram mm-hmm. as he's driving away. Says it nailed him right through the heart, and that he sinks down in his chariot. A completely mighty bow shot. I mean, oh, yeah. the Hebrew word is like he used 
every bit of his strength as he pulled the uh, the string back. It's like the arrow was being guided by God himself. Yeah. That's what one commentator uh, noted, and I thought, wow, that's really cool. That's neat. But you think about just him yelling, treachery, treachery, and his commander, the guy that he trusted, he was all excited to go and find out, hey, how are you guys doing in this battle against the Syrians? Next thing you know, Jehu throws down the gauntlet. Yeah. So Jehu, after landing this shot on Joram and, and he dies, he, he tells his officer by the name of Bidkar to grab up the body of Joram and throw it on the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Which is, there, there's some interesting things about that, isn't there, Josh? Yes. Yeah, it's really fitting that the text identifies where they meet here on this property uh, because Naboth the Jezreelite was a man whom Ahab, uh, who is Joram's dad, uh, he had coveted Naboth's ancestral God-given land because it was right next to his palace. And he's like, I just want this vineyard. And since Naboth was like, no, it's... It's my family's uh, land that God gave us. All of a sudden, Ahab throws a pity party when he couldn't get it. And Jezebel, being the woman that she is, when she saw her husband in the doldrums, she had Naboth falsely accused and put to death, allowing Ahab to erroneously claim this plot of land bought with innocent blood. Now, here's something I'd never thought about before. Uh, Not only did she have Naboth put to death, she had to have his sons put to death as well, because otherwise they would have inherited the land. Well, and what treachery. Yeah, yeah. And it's fitting because all of a sudden this fulfills a prophecy that Elijah had spoken to Ahab, because it says, um, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and this is back in First Kings, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says, have you not murdered a man and seized up his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says, in the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood, yes, yours. Wow. And right here, Jehu says to Bidkar, throw his body here to pay for the land. Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) That's metal, man. It is. It's so metal. I was like, dang. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. And it goes to show, this is one of several instances we're going to see where Jehu has... God's prophecies in the back of his head as he's doing these conquerings. Yeah. And he and he wants he wants it to be in God's will and he he's doing it as God prophesied it. Yeah. And if you need an awesome baby name, Bidkar is yeah. kind of cool cuz it means with a stab or it means son of piercing through or another translation just means assassin. That is a viking. <laughs> it is, right? <laughs> it really is. Come on, Bidkar. Yeah. That's a total Viking. He was apparently a captain, which means he was the third man on the chariot. He was responsible for holding a shield, and he was responsible for rear defense. So, like, anybody coming up behind the chariot, he was the one, like, throwing the spear, trying to take him out. That's pretty gnarly. Yeah, he got your six. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) So, no, I just read that, and I was like, that's so metal. It really is. Yeah. That's the perfect word to describe what just (laughs) happened there, too. Well played, sir. Thank you. Yeah, so we we got this scene, and he just killed the sitting king, uh, Joram, Mm -hmm. and we see that um, his kin is riding off. Yeah, he's got a chance to take a swipe at him, too. Yeah, Ahaziah is fleeing, and um, 
we see in verse 27 that uh, Jehu says, shoot him too. Yeah. <laughs> Straight up quoted. It, it, it's uh, it's what happened. They uh, they saw him fleeing and they, they shot him. But there's some gray areas in what happened next. We know that they, they at least... Uh, shot him. We it, not a death shot immediately. Mm-hmm. Though there could be, we see that he fled to Megiddo after being shot and ended up dying. There could be a span of time, couldn't there, Josh? Yeah, yeah. So we find that he's injured, and then he goes on the run. And this is what I found um, because it says that he died at Megiddo. Um, the accounts in Chronicles and Kings might be combined to show that although Ahaziah was wounded at. Uh, G-U-R, Gur, he managed to go on to Samaria. Later, Jehu's men seized him and brought him to Jehu, where he was put to death. And so this is what they said. Since the chronicler associates Ahaziah's capture with Jehu's slaying of Ahab's descendants and some of Ahaziah's relatives, it appears that Ahaziah avoided his pursuers for a time. The account here is greatly compressed, talking about the timeline, with the writer recording Ahaziah's death and burial before relating further events. So we think, kind of like what we were saying, is that this might have all happened on a few months or even a few year span, Mm -hmm. but because he's like, I'm telling this story right now and it's um, bottled up in the destruction of Ahab's relatives, I'm going to go ahead and mention it here. And we see that throughout the Bible where Mm -hmm. there's, there's a a long period between the space you read and it doesn't seem like that when you're reading it, Mm -hmm. but it's done on purpose. Yes. And, and this was one where it was like, I want to make sure that I reconcile this in my heart because I'm like, okay, you have two books telling the exact same story. And yet at first look, they seem like they're conflicting, but they're not. Yeah. And, you know, we see similar things in the Gospels and mm-hmm. how they perceived what happened with Jesus. Yes. So it's not an odd thing, but no. good that you mentioned because people come to those and, and do just that. Yeah, and it, it can derail them and all of a sudden it leaves them head scratching and they're like, well, why did this say Can it this? be trusted? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So good mention. All right. So at this point, um, Jehu heads back to Jezreel and he enters the city and as he does, Jezebel that godless, godless Jezebel looks down at him through a window and calls out to ask him if he has come in peace in, in sort of a rhetorical way, I would say. Yeah, and I find it interesting because it talks about how she's gone ahead and put on her makeup and gussied herself up. Like a Jezebel would. <laughs> <laughs> now, Stephen, you just got a lot against women with makeup on. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh. Well, I don't know if this was an A, uh, a seductive move. Which one commentator I found said that. Probably Or so. B, uh, you wouldn't hit a woman, would you? Move. <laughs> or C, maybe she just wants to go out looking her best. Yeah. Which, um, kind of crazy enough, her husband died 14 years ago, but historians say that she was uh, known for being beautiful, like really pretty. Yeah. So I don't know if maybe there was this like moment of going, I can, I can charm my way out of this. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't surprise me that she she would utilize that. Yes, rather. the bitterness turns on pretty quickly with what she says. Yeah, yeah, she says, um, or he, she asks if he's come in peace, and Jehu basically responds with, "What do you think?" Yeah, well, and she calls him Zimri, which is that's fun. right, that's right. I yeah. completely forgot to mention that. She goes, "Is it peace, Zimri, murderer of your master?" Which at this point, she's already gotten wind of what's happened. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you know who Zimri is. I, I did not d- dive into that okay. very far. 
So, but I did read about it. Okay, so you had Jeroboam as the first king of Israel that had broken away from Solomon, and then uh, he had his son Nadab, who was uh, a king. He was assassinated by a guy named Basha or Basha, who had a son named Elah, who was king uh, for twenty-four years. Eventually, he was assassinated by a man named Zimri. Well, Zimri came in, and he was king for all of seven days. And then he uh, ended up committing suicide by fire. And Omri, um, who basically attacked, and that's why he kind of committed suicide, he became that dynasty that led to... um, First of all, Omri, and then Ahab, and then Ahaziah, and now Joram. And so she was just like, she was throwing a lot of shade by calling him Zimri because she's like, first of all, your reign is going to be short, and then you're going to be stupid enough to kill yourself. Yeah, yeah. That's some good back context. I I did see that that it was a very underhanded comment, an insult. Yes, yeah. I mean, this was a bad broad who had seen some stuff. To say that she was most likely prepared for this day probably wasn't too much of a stretch. True. Very true. I mean, you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Yeah. And and she might have, for 14 years, thought she got away with it, but God God keeps a reckoning. It catches up with people. Yeah. They, they might not realize it, but it will. Yeah, it always exactly. Does. And I imagine Jehu just kind of gives her the the smirk, and he's like, hmm, well, watch this. Yeah. And at this point, he orders some officials up there with her to launch her out of the window. (laughs) He goes, hey, who's on my side up there? Yeah. And I could just imagine these, like, they call them eunuchs, but I could Mm -hmm. just imagine their little prairie dog heads just poking out the window like, I'm here, (laughs) you know, because it says, like, not with her. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, two or three of them just were like, I'm, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> out with the woman. And they did so, it in a very eunuch way. <laughs> very nice. They did it in a very rated R way. Because yeah. she comes flying out of this window, and it says that she splatted with blood spackling the horses. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a long fall, and she was falling pretty, but she fell and splatted. Yeah. And um, we're told that the horses started to trample her body after the fall. It's yeah. a very, very gruesome scene. He drove furiously right over her body. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> and you know, it, as gruesome as the scene was, it didn't seem to turn Jehu's stomach too much because it says that he just goes inside and starts to eat and drink after this. <laughs> I went and had a meal. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, well, there's that part of it. Well, he's, he at the, he's at the palace and they got some good vittles. Yeah, and he's king now, so that come in. <laughs> yeah. Bring me... <laughs> I need some pineapple. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, and we see an interesting thing here where Jehu says in verse 34 through 37... See now to this cursed woman and bury her. This is after he's, as he's eating inside, after he's gone in. See now to this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. So they went to bury her, but they found nothing except the skull, the feet, and the palms of her hands. Mm. Therefore they returned the information to him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, On the property of Jezreel, the dog shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel will be like dung on the face of the field and in the property of Jezreel, so they can say, this is Jezebel. Hmm. And I mean, man, that is is the the biggest, um, I mean, that's not a legacy to leave behind. Yeah. I'll just say that. Yeah. It's hard to put into words what all that is to a person. 
Well, you know what, guys? I mean, this this has gotten a little bit longer than we anticipated. <laughs> Don't worry, it's not going to be another Abraham, but I think we, we might want to cut this into the first episode of two. Yeah, it's not five parts. No, it's not. <laughs> we, we, we don't want to scare you off with that. But it's it's really uh, it's going to be too long to get in one episode. So why don't we cut it here, Josh, and we'll just pick right back up at round two next time. Come back for J2. J2. Very <laughs> nice. I like what you did there. So <laughs> always remember, whatever you do. Wherever you go. No matter what life throws at you. There's never been a better time to follow the words of Jesus. Come back and listen to part two and be a snake bird. bird.